God's been at work very richly in Fraley's life and in your lives as well. It's been really an amazing year, to be honest with you. Um, And she mentioned several times in her testimony this theme concerning fear, which has been a theme in many of your lives. I know that pastorally this past year. And so it is not an accident that this morning here at City Church we are going to be talking more about fear. And our passage is Matthew chapter 28, verses 1 through 10. Matthew chapter 28, verses 1 through 10. If you do have a Bible, we encourage you to pull that out and follow along with us. If you don't, we completely understand quite all right. The passage will be up here on the screen, and then there are some blue Bibles scattered under some of the seats in front of you. And then I intentionally sat on that side of the row, so if you're looking for somewhere to sit, you can sit with me, at least after the sermon. It's really nice over there in that, that left corner. Um, if you are physically able to stand, please stand for the reading of God's Word. Matthew 28, verses 1 through 10. Now after the Sabbath, toward the dawn of the first day of the week, Mary Magdalene and the other Mary went to see the tomb. And behold, there was a great earthquake, for an angel of the Lord descended from heaven and came and rolled back the stone and sat on it. His appearance was like lightning and his clothing white as snow. And for fear of him, the guards trembled and became like dead men. But the angel said to the women, Do not be afraid. For I know that you seek Jesus who is crucified. He is not here, for he has risen, as he said. Come, see the place where he lay. Then go quickly and tell his disciples that he has risen from the dead. And behold, he is going before you to Galilee. There you will see him. See, I have told you. So they departed quickly from the tomb with fear and great joy and ran to tell his disciples. And behold, Jesus met them and said, Greeting. And they came up and took hold of his feet and worshipped him. Then Jesus said to them, Do not be afraid. Go and tell my brothers to go to Galilee, and there they will see me. This is the word of the Lord. Let's pray together. Lord, we do tend to experience very fearful circumstances. Some of us are here this morning. We are very afraid of something going on in our life, maybe as we were talking about earlier. It might be vocational, might be with our family. But Lord, we live in a fearful age. And Lord, I pray that this resurrection hope and power that we're talking about this morning would pierce that fear so gloriously this morning. May we leave here encouraged in Christ Jesus and transformed accordingly. Spirit, would you work accordingly among us? And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. You may be seated. Well, as they approach the tomb, Mary Magdalene and the other Mary had so many compelling reasons to be afraid when you think about it. I mean, Jesus had been crucified two days prior. The Jesus who had previously healed Mary Magdalene of a demonic possession, after which, as you learn in Luke chapter 8, she became one of Jesus' closest followers, traveling with him through various cities and villages, And the other Mary mentioned here was the mother of James and Joseph, James being another very close follower of Jesus. And not only had Jesus been crucified, the two Marys had personally watched from a distance as Jesus hung on a cross. And then after Joseph of Arimathea claimed Jesus' body, the two Marys personally watched Joseph, see Mark chapter 15, 
lay Jesus in a tomb that had been cut out of the rock, and then roll a stone against the entrance of a tomb. Eyewitnesses to the bleakest possible series of events, at least for them and other Jesus followers. That'll unsettle you a little bit. On top of that, as they made their way to Jesus' tomb in the pre-dawn darkness, the day after the Sabbath, they were surely aware that the tomb would be under guard, and indeed it was by guards who were probably Roman soldiers, Roman soldiers being the number one group of people in Jesus' day that you did not want to irritate. Which makes this visit, I got to tell you, by the two Marys, to pay their respects and to anoint Jesus' body, you can see this in Mark chapter 16, such, I mean, a remarkable act of faithfulness and courage. Honestly, one of the most courageous actions described in the entire Bible. Typically, this kind of anointing to perfume the body and devotion to the deceased would have happened on the day of the burial. But by the time Jesus was buried, night had fallen, thus marking the beginning of the Jewish Sabbath. So they had to wait until sundown on Saturday, that is the end of the Sabbath, to purchase the oils, which meant that the first opportunity to actually visit the tomb for the burial anointing was the morning after the Sabbath. On top of that, at some point, around the time that they were making their way to the tomb, in the pre-dawn darkness, there was not just an earthquake, there was a great earthquake. But even then, they proceeded. And when they arrived at the tomb, verse 3, they found themselves in the presence of an angel whose appearance was like lightning and his clothing white as snow. We have these romantic, sometimes cartoonish views of angels, assuming that when the angels arrive, we will always be so glad to see them. The problem is that, biblically speaking, basically no one was ever, like, really glad to see an angel. Encounters with angels was kind of like standing on the very edge of the Grand Canyon with a tailwind. It was very majestic, but absolutely terrifying, and you kind of wanted to back away. Thus, this response from the guards, who trembled and became like dead men. And you know, if you're one of the Marys, the thing that's worse than encountering people you're supposed to be afraid of is encountering those people when they themselves are afraid of something else in the area. I mean, if you go hiking on, I don't know, the Lachua Trail, and then in the opposite direction come running 15-foot alligators looking like they've seen a ghost, you would turn around. And by the way, at this point, my wife and I intend to be Gainesville lifers. We really love it here. We're obnoxious homers about this city, as you might know. But if the alligators start packing up, we're going to take that seriously. So many reasons to be afraid. So many different layers of fear. So the angel read the room and said to the women in verse 5, Do not be afraid. Why? 
reasonable people should be afraid in those kinds of circumstances. Why not be afraid? Because Jesus, the one you're seeking, the one who was crucified, he's not here anymore because he's arisen. In fact, Mary and Mary, if you have the time, I would love to show you the place where he lay. 1,000 years ago, if you were, you know, say, an Anglo-Saxon warrior, meandering around England, living in a shame and honor, king of the mountain kind of culture, how would you have dealt with fear? Basically, you wouldn't have. And that kind of society strength and might were celebrated. Vulnerability concerning fear was definitely not celebrated. Brene Brown was not getting invited to workplace team-building seminars. So in that culture, regardless of your true feelings, your public posture would have been something like, well, I'm not afraid of anything. And then you would puff your chest out and so on and so forth. In the present day, especially here in the West, how do we deal with fear? We're certainly more transparent about it. Some of us more transparent than others, of course, in large part because we put more of a premium on transparency. And we believe, and I'm speaking generally here, we believe that the resources to confront and deal with our fear are mainly contained within ourselves with support from our community. For example, Scotland's National Health System recently put an article on their website. I'm partly Scottish, so I try, you know, I try to go to their health website every so once in a while, see what's, see what's going on. They recently posted an article on their website called 10 Ways to Fight Your Fears. You can actually see in this article how kind of internal resources are emphasized. Here's tip number three. Tip number three is simply face your fears. Avoiding fears only makes them scarier. Whatever you fear, if you face it, it should start to fade. If you panic one day getting into a lift, the word for elevator in the UK, for example, it's best to get back into a lift the next day. And here's tip number five. Look at the evidence. It sometimes helps to challenge fearful thoughts. For example, if you're scared of getting trapped in a lift and suffocating, Ask yourself, if you have ever heard of this happening to someone, ask yourself what you would say to a friend who had a similar fear. Okay, tip number eight, last one I'll read, visualize a happy place. Take a moment to close your eyes and imagine a place of safety and calm. It could be a picture of you walking on a beautiful beach or snuggled up in bed with a cat next to you or a happy memory from childhood. Let the positive feelings soothe you until you feel more relaxed. Listen, I do think there's some useful advice here, although now I'm terrified of lifts. <laughs> but do you see how the onus here is essentially on the individual? Face it. Tackle it. Visualize. Develop strategies. When you think about both of the approaches we just discussed, the Anglo-Saxon shame and honor society approach, and then our approach here in the West, both of these approaches to fear 
can imprison us just in different ways. The honor society, king of the mountain approach, can bind those who are experiencing fear because, well, you're not allowed to be afraid. There's no outlet. There's no recourse. You just have to be tough. The contemporary Western way, although more, I would say, well-intentioned, can actually end up binding us under the weight of the steps we are supposed to take to confront our fear, especially if we sense the steps we're taking are failing. Christianity offers a different approach. It offers a different approach. Unlike honor societies, nothing in Scripture squelches our experiences of fear or expressions of fear. Nothing in Scripture says that all of that is dishonorable or, or shameful. No, 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 no. If you're, a, if you're a human being living on earth, if that describes you, you will at times encounter very fearful circumstances and be afraid, even if you're reluctant to admit that kind of fear. But unlike our posture today in the West, in Christianity, the primary answer you might say, to fear, lies outside of ourselves. It's external. And what is that answer? The resurrection. Jesus, the one you're seeking, the one who was crucified, he's not here anymore. He's arisen. Dealing with our fear has to do not with our own internal resources, but with a real, historical, supernatural event. Which, by the way, helps us understand what the angel is, is getting at when he says, don't be afraid. There's, there's no scolding going on here at all. None of, none of this you know, well, my goodness, Mary, Mary, I thought you were you know, Jesus followers, yet here you are all spooked. You know, how spiritual are you really? I mean, shame, 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 I guess you aren't real Christians. No, that's not what's going on here. Faithful Christians will still have experiences of fear. We will still encounter scary moments, even terrifying moments. But to borrow a line from Covenant Presbyterians' first Sunday service after the shooting at their school, when you know how the story ends, the scary moments lose their power. None of us is done experiencing scary moments. There will be another day when your heart skips a beat. There will be another day when you realize that if you proceed along a particular path with God-honoring faithfulness, it might very well cost you something or put your reputation at risk. But I want you to know that when that day comes, the fear that we experience need not bind us or control us because resurrection power overcomes the power of fear. You see how this is nearly a paradox, experiencing real fear without it holding power over us, but it's actually a very real part of Christian living. And I love how the psalmist describes this tension in Psalm 56 
verses 3 through 4, when I am afraid, not, you know, if I'm afraid, when I am afraid, I put my trust in you, in God whose word I praise, in God I trust, I shall not be afraid, what can flesh do to me? When I am afraid, I will trust and then not be afraid. You know, the world says tackle and visualize and challenge. And again, I'm, I'm serious. There really can be some practical wisdom contained in that advice. But Christianity says trust. And the pressure is ultimately on God. Not ourselves. Not our strategies. Not our visualizations. And you know what? He's done it. And the resurrection proves it. Jesus faced the greatest pressure cooker of all time, remaining committed to and confident in the Father, even to the point of death on a cross, even though he knew exactly how awful it was going to be. Matthew chapter 26, verse 39, My Father, if it be possible, let this cup pass from me. Yet, on account of the joy that was set before him, that's Hebrews chapter 12, Jesus proceeded, and he endured the cross. And then he rose again from the dead, conquering death itself, and with it, the power of sin. Thus this crescendo of praise that you find in 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verse 55. Oh, death, where is your victory? Oh, death, where is your sting? Answer is gone because of the resurrection of Jesus Christ. And church, I want you to know that this is true no matter what day of the week it is, no matter how you're getting along emotionally, no matter what's going on in your personal life, no matter how things are going on at work, no matter what's going on nationally, what's going on globally, I want you to know that this is true even when you get really bad news. Even when your reputation is called into question or assailed, even when, even when your nine-year-old daughter or son is stolen from you in the course of action so evil it takes our breath away. Which means that if fear is going to be tackled, the way to go is to entrust ourselves to the one who tackled the grave and beat it. I mean, what was that? Tip number eight, take a moment to close your eyes and imagine walking on a beautiful beach or being snuggled up in bed with a cat next to you. I mean, yeah. But that has its limits, doesn't it? And so instead of relying on ourselves to overcome fear, or even relying on other people, we rely upon and we rest in Christ. And we're encouraged that even though we live in such a fearsome world with all sorts of fearsome effects, when the King returns, the dead in Christ will be raised and we will put on immortal, imperishable resurrection bodies. As we said last week, the king has come, and the king will come again. We know where the story is going, and so the scary moments, even though they will still come, they lose their power. And this news is so good, it is so joyful, that I mean, we, we have to tell people about it, right? I mean, we have to. That's, that's the exhortation from the angel in verse 7. After Mary and Mary, you've seen the place where Jesus lay, go quickly and tell his disciples that he has risen from the dead, and behold, he is going before you to Galilee. There you will see him. See, I have told you. 
And then in verse 8, Mary and Mary departed quickly from the tomb with fear and great joy and ran to tell his disciples. You can tell that the Marys were still in process a bit. There was some ongoing fear, as the text says, but joy was blossoming as well. Thus, their zeal to spread the news that the angel had told them. Leslie Newbegin wrote in his book, The Gospel in a Pluralist Society. He says this, If one looks at the New Testament evidence, one gets the impression that mission begins with a kind of explosion of joy. The news that the rejected and crucified Jesus is alive is something that cannot possibly be suppressed. It must be told, who could be silent about such a fact? Christianity gives us the best possible answer to fear. And then that answer catalyzes an explosion of joy that compels us to tell others that Jesus has risen from the dead. And accordingly, you no longer need to be afraid. Your sin, no matter how severe, is no match for the grace of God in Christ. So repent of your sin, trust in the King who reigns over the kingdom of heaven and himself bore our sins in his body on the tree that we might die to sin and live to righteousness. And yours will be that kingdom no matter what if you give yourself to him. And we tell people that your difficult circumstances, no matter how excruciating or how unjust, will one day be undone. It will become untrue. So do not be afraid. If you're here this morning and you do not profess to be a follower of Jesus, we are so glad you're here. We love you. This is a community for you. And we mean that very seriously. Or maybe you're here and, and you just, you're just not sure what you believe. You're, you're, you're skeptical about Christianity. I mean, shoot, maybe you're here to please a family member. Maybe all of this helps you gain a better understanding of faithful Christian mission. Faithful followers of Jesus, we tell people about the king, not because we're trying to fill sanctuaries or build platforms, not because we have to in order to be good Christians, not because we're looking to defeat our opponents, if we're talking about other people. Have, do, have people done these sorts of things in the name of Christ? Yes, they have, but it's not true Christianity, not even close. True Christian mission comes from an explosion of joy. Joy breaking into otherwise fearful circumstances on account of Christ crucified and raised. Joy often coexisting with very significant hardships. Joy uncontainable when we consider that Jesus tells us to make disciples of all nations. In Matthew chapter 28, verse 19, because our faithfulness to this mission will bear fruit. If you're here this morning and you would not say that you are following Jesus, please know that Jesus is risen. Please know that Jesus is alive. And he appeared to the Marys in the flesh. See verse 9. And then eventually to the twelve. And then to hundreds of additional eyewitnesses. And please know that even this hour, he is inviting you to humble yourself before him in repentance. And to trust him 
that you might find real rest for your soul and one day worship, just like Mary and Mary, verse 9, in the immediate presence of the Almighty God. But some of us here this morning are following Jesus. We have given our lives to Jesus. And here's what I'll say to you as we close. Recently, I was driving with my son on the way to t-ball practice, and then sort of out of nowhere, he started asking about my dad, who passed away 10 years ago. My son is six, so my dad passed away about four years before my son was born, so he was asking questions about where my dad was. I was like, well, you know, uh, he passed away, and, and he was asking me how, how he passed away, and I don't know if there's a book written about this or something. Uh, I haven't read it. I'm sort of fumbling along and trying to find sort of a PG appropriate way to, to walk through this, you know, with my son. And, and then there's this really long pregnant pause, and I'm getting kind of emotional. And man, we're just having this really beautiful moment, you know, son and father. And then after that pregnant pause, he just kind of like whispers from the back. He's like, Dad, I want a snake. <laughs> And then he said, and he said, not a poisonous one, just, just a small one. Just a small one that you can put in a cage. And I said, okay, buddy, we can, we can look into that. But here's the thing, and I was thinking about this. Obviously, that'll kind of stay with you for a while. And um, I was thinking, because, you know, of course, when I'm talking about this with my son, one of the things, one of the fears that comes into your mind, it's unavoidable, is what if this happens to me? And I can't stop it. What if this happens to me? And that fear knocks at the door again and again. When you, when you have someone important to you, you know this, that passes away, especially suddenly, everybody seems awfully mort mortal. <laughs> and, <laughs> but here's the thing. Because of this resurrection power, that we're just talking about. I can actually experience that kind of fear in a real way, but then leave it over here and pivot to my son and go find him a snake. I don't know if it's at PetSmart. I don't know where you buy snakes. But I can say, yes, that is a scary thought. But I know where the story is going and then I can see about the pet situation. Amen.